Thank you for downloading Season 5, Episode 3 of Baseball Pitching the Fix, featuring pitching motion expert Angel Borelli. And this week we have a very special guest joining us. It's the badass baseball coach of Bellarmine University, Larry Owens. Good morning, Larry. <laughs> Good morning, everyone. How are you all? You're doing great. Larry, you're doing great. The Knights are having a, another really strong year. You're uh, in the top 20 in the national rankings for Division Two. Congratulations. Yeah, thank you. You're having a heck of a year. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Good luck the rest of the way. I want to see you up in the uh, up in the final four, as they say. Yeah, that'd be great. Carry, carry North Carolina is where our uh, Division Two World Series is, where the Division Two National Championships are held. And that's uh, that'd be really nice to make it uh, that far. That'd be really, really cool. And uh, we're quite capable. So we'll see. We'll see how it shakes out. Well, we're pulling for you from this end, that's for sure. Well, thank you. So today we're going to talk about five things you can do right now to improve your bullpens and performance in the games. And, you know, we've had some conversations, the three of us offline, and and Larry, you have quite a few ideas on on how pitchers can improve themselves, especially in in the bullpens. And Angel, why don't you uh, kick this off and and get Larry started? Oh, okay. So Larry, what I'd love to do is get your, uh, as a coach and with your knowledge, talk about uh, something with these topics. And then what I'd like to do is uh, uh, pretending I work for you is how would I set up practice sessions for the pitchers so that they could work on the goal and the objectives of what you feel they should be doing. So let's talk about the, your, my favorite topic you love to talk about is the first pitch strike. What are your thoughts on that? And what do you what do you say to pitchers about that well it's it's you know it's not anything that you know i created or 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 whatever you know this is it's pretty simple and there are a lot of people that you know preach the same thing um and i think a lot of pitchers young and old are aware of it and and know that that's something that they need to do that that's something that's going to help them do their job which is get outs um it's just sometimes like anything, you know, first pitch strikes and a lot of the other topics that we'll talk about, uh, a pitcher may go out there with the best intentions. And a lot of times, you know, then they lift their leg and then they kind of know, I'm not going to trust it. I'm going to do this. I'm going to, I'm going to be perfect or I'm going to try and create a swing and a miss, which are two things that can certainly get a pitcher in trouble. And, you know, their mind wanders or they, they kind of get away from, you know, their goal, which is trying to throw a first pitch strike. Um, you know, uh, preferably a, a quality strike, not just lay it in there, belt high. But, you know, first pitch strikes are important. For me, number one, they, they it, it makes the path to two strikes easier. We would like to throw two of the first three pitches, you know, and again, it's not rocket science. It's not, we're not the only, we don't have the market cornered in, you know, having this philosophy. We used it a lot with the White Sox. A lot of, lot of people use the same philosophy, but it makes the path to two of the first three pitches for strikes much easier. And then it also... Um, you know, you throw a first pitch ball, there's a really, really good chance that you're probably going to throw a fastball in one of the next two pitches. So it takes that, you know, away from the hitter um, just by simply throwing it over the plate. Try and try, see how many first pitch strikes you can throw is, a, is, is an element that, you know, can help you, you know, lead to getting outs. And it's just, it's pretty simple, um, but sometimes, you know, it can become very difficult for young pitchers because they try to throw perfect pitches or they try to create swings and misses, or they're a little fearful of contact. They're, they're fearful of an outcome of, boy, I don't want to give up a double. I don't want to give up a hit. I don't want to, I don't want to, 
I don't want to, I don't want something bad to happen to me. And so inevitably then they get behind the count and then they throw a ball and then it makes the pass to two of the first three pitches for strikes much more difficult. And it puts the hitter in an advantage because he's probably going to get a fastball in one of the next two pitches. Larry, how do you get the pitchers to, like you said, instead of late, just laying the ball over the plate, how do you get them to focus on a really good strike? Well, I mean, you know, we were in spring training, I forget how many years ago, and Brett Burns, you know, just in conversation, you could just hear him talking. And I was kind of not ashamed, but kind of like, gosh, how come I've never, it makes so much sense. You know, down's a location too. You know, far too often we want to, or you'll see guys at the little league or at the uh, travel ball tournament or in a high school or college game, they, you know, somebody's calling pitches from the dugout and it's, they're trying to avoid contact and it's always halves of the plate. We're going to throw it. And it's typically away. We're going to first pitch fastball away. So it's on a half of the plate and they're taking away the possibility of a pitcher throwing it for a strike. He misses on one side of the glove and it's a ball. He misses on the other side of the glove. It's a strike. But if the catcher will sit down the middle of the plate and give a low target, you know, down's a good location. Down is a location just like in and out is, um, you know, and that's usually a good place to start. If, if a pitcher has exceptional command where he can hit the glove and you can take him out on the edges of the plate, then by all means do it. I mean, there's nothing wrong with that, but the priority should be a strike. And it, it doesn't always have to obviously be fastballs. It can be breaking balls, changeups, whatever you want. Just throw something for a strike, preferably maybe down in the strike zone. If the guy has exceptional command, he can probably do a little bit more pitching on the edges early in the count. But uh, we don't want, you don't want a guy with maybe borderline or marginal controller command to you don't want to lead him into deep counts i don't want to lead him into counts that are give the hitter an advantage you know i want to i want to be on the offensive and I, I, for me it's a mindset for me it's just a belief that you know you you literally have to be able a pitcher once a pitcher gets to the point where when he lets go of the ball he really doesn't care what what the outcome is going to be then that's a pretty good place to be now not that he doesn't care that Oh, I don't care if you know, I don't care if I win. I don't care if it, no, not that type of not care that you have no fear of what's going to happen when you throw the ball. You have no control over whether he swings at it, how hard he hits it, if he hits it. You have no if he takes it. The pitcher has zero control of that. What the pitcher has control of is the the glove should be in a good location, and he's trying to hit the ball, hit the glove with the ball as often as he can. And you know, so as catchers, we want to give the pitcher the best opportunity to do that. If we're trying to throw a first pitch strike, then, then be in a good, be in a good spot to, to, to allow that to happen. And things change in the game. I mean, you know, uh, uh, the, the first hitter of the game is going to be a lot different than, you know, second and third, and you got to pull the infield in for whatever reason. You give up a hit, you're going to give up two runs. Second and third, you got an open base and you want to take a chance on maybe pitching to the guy. You'd prefer not to walk him. Well, now you don't, you're going to walk him or strike him out. Well, then now your first pitch strike isn't as important in that situation. But generally speaking, uh, it, it is. And it's just, it, it makes the path to the eventual outcome that you'd like to, to happen. You know, getting people out, it makes that path a lot easier. So a long roundabout answer to a pretty simple question again. <laughs> Angel, what kind of things do you how do you help a pitcher with his first pitch strikes? So, well, two things. Let's talk about the game. And actually, Larry, learning so much from you as I go to games now, and I was watching one of my pitchers last week pitch, and he came out in the first pitch of the game was a strike. And the energy around that is really devastating. 
when he takes control like that first pitch. And so not only is the first pitch strike important, but the first pitch of the game is really important. And one of the things that I see so much, and it's a complaint that pitchers give me when I'm taking their history and they say, man, I have the worst first inning. You know, I walk too many people. And well, what happened in the second? Uh, Way better. Well, the most important thing to being able to accomplish any strikes is to make sure that your bullpen has sufficient number of pitches in it where you're warmed up so that when you get to the game, not only have you burnt off some of your arousal level, meaning you've got your chemistry under control, you've got it at the right height, heightened chemistry, but you're familiar with the chemistry so that you can manage it. And so the first thing is make sure your bullpen before a game appearance is adequate enough to accomplish not just finding your location, your release point, and all the things that you teach the pitchers as a pitching coach, but also to get their management of their uh, chemistry under control. Now in a bullpen, What I do, because one of the things that happens in bullpens that I don't let happen is they just start pitching, pitching, pitching. And one of the things I always tell them is, uh, you know, when they say I want to work on my first pitch striker, we talk about that is I say, now what I want you to do is throw each pitch separately as if it's the only pitch you're going to throw. Now, I know this again, this is as common as talking about first pitch strikes, but it's funny that pitchers have to actually be reminded of doing this. And, you know, last night I was watching Chapman take on the Angels in the ninth inning. And this is a guy who knows how to throw one pitch at a time. And if you ever want to see what that looks like, and obviously he's a great closer and obviously has command, but there's something about the way he is between pitches. So with some of my guys, we experiment with different styles. I have some guys where I say, okay, on the next nine pitches, we're working on first pitch strike. And so I give them some options. And some of them love throwing one pitch, takes them a minute to get into this, taking a minute, then throwing another one. One of them likes to walk completely off the mound. He throws a pitch, he gets on there, he takes his time, he throws the pitch. Because as you were saying, it is mental It's not only mental, but it also requires focus. And of course, I think what you mentioned is so important with the catcher assisting him with this so that he can actually see where he did land that pitch. So that's how we do it. We actually isolate first pitch strike segments in the bullpen, and we actually make them throw just one pitch. And then they either kick some dirt around, but they're definitely not pitching, pitching, pitching. We make them slow it down. And then, of course, we're keeping count. And every time we do this, and I have this in my notes, we try to improve how many of those pitches that we designated. Let's say we say we're doing nine. How many did you actually get as a strike? And what that just does is it familiarizes the pitcher with that mindset. And we know mindset's everything for pitching. So that's how we do that when we're working on first pitch strikes. Wow. Angel, I really like that idea of, of the pitcher completely getting off of the mound mm-hmm. and then going back on to to just to simulate that whole idea of the first pitch strike. Yes. And, you know, there are so many pitchers that have an issue with like their first inning and, and I, I can never understand why they don't try to do something different. Like all these guys, they go through the first inning, they have rough time and then second in, inning, everything's good. And I guess I never really thought about it, but I guess there are some pitchers who 
get into the game. They're too excited. They're like too hyped up and they're just, yes. I, I, how do you like get, get that out in the bullpen? If you're just like all amped up for the game, like what kind of things can a pitcher do to kind of wind down? Well, you know, Larry, I want to ask you about the second topic and then I want to be, and I think I can elaborate on what Joe just asked, but you were talking in some of the written material I've read uh, that you've uh, done about the importance of sub- 15 pitch innings, which again, that all, all, all always, of course, seems obvious, like, duh, of course, we don't want you to have that many pitches. But could you talk a little bit about that and also the importance of pitchers remembering that? But uh, let's talk about that. And then I want to talk about how we work on it in bullpens with keeping the pitch count down. Right. It just, you know, it does that sub 15 pitch innings. Um, it's again, it's a pretty simple you know, idea, and it's nothing uh, that is that we've you know created or got the market cornered on. It is, you know, if if your job as a starting pitcher, it, to me, your job as a starting pitcher is to throw six or seven innings. That's your job. You know, you don't get a big hug for throwing four innings. You're probably going to be able to do your job. <laughs> well, you're probably going to be able to do your job if you're kind of you're efficient. You throw 15 pitches an inning for six innings. If I'm not mistaken, that's 90 pitches. In my opinion, you know, I think I think guys typically over just based on experience, guys tend to obviously get a little fatigued or tired and their stuff maybe starts to diminish once they get to somewhere. Usually, I don't know, 75, 100 pitches is it it starts to diminish. And if the ball, in my opinion, if the ball game's not over or your job isn't done by the time you get to 105, 115, if you're still in the game, then you're you're done anyway. So. If you go out there, and again, if you go out there and try to throw perfect pitches, strike everybody out, or create swings and misses, you're going to run your pitch count up. And if you run your pitch count up, you're not going to be able to probably do your job, which is to throw six or seven innings. So a goal of trying to create sub-15 pitch innings is pretty simple. And it's even I think it's even more of a – I think the guys believe in it more if – you know, like here at Bellarmine, I don't call pitches from the dugout. Our, we talk about it, and it's part of player development. Our, our catchers call the game. So um, it's going to help the catcher, I think, kind of if, – if, if he knows that that's important to us, then he's going to hopefully – number one, he has to know what the pitcher can and can't throw for a strike. We keep track of percentages of, of you know, John Smith, his fastball, he throws his fastball 63% of the time for a strike. He throws his curveball, you know, 60% of the time for a strike. His changeup, he throws 40% of the time for a strike. Well, I know in certain counts that a changeup is probably not an option for me because I, in this particular count, I need a strike. 1-1, one, one, for example. You know, in a 1-1 one, one count, you know, if you use the MLB by count results, um, big league hitters hit about 340 in, in two one counts, and they hit about 170 in one two counts. So when you're going to throw this one one pitch, you need to pick a pitch that he can throw for a strike. That's in turn going to help, you know, create the the sub 15 pitch innings. First pitch strikes are going to help. Trying to get to, to two two of the first three pitches for strikes um, is going to help. It just keeps them more offensive minded, more. You know, I regret I want to make them put the ball in play. I'm not going to let them hit it. I'm going to make them hit it. And I'm going to just, you know, am I going to pitch in and out? Am I going to pitch up and down? Am I going to change speeds? Absolutely do all of those things. But, but, but not trying to be too fine and, and, and trying to avoid trying to create swings and misses because the, the more, the fewer pitches you throw, obviously, the deeper you probably are going to be able to get into the game. And if you throw fewer pitches, then you're probably giving your team a chance to win the game as well. 
you know, the first pitch strikes, two of the first three pitches for strikes, sub 15 pitch innings and lead off outs. If you do those four things that have absolutely nothing to do with, I mean, they do have a lot to do with your delivery. They have a lot to do with your mentality, but you, you get locked in and doing those four things and you do them well, you're probably going to give your team a chance to win the game, which that's why the scoreboard's on. We're trying to win the game. And so the sub 15 is good. I think it's good. I used to play a game. We, my old pitching coordinator taught me a little game, a little simple game. We used to play with our catcher. If we finished the inning and he came in and he threw a 10 pitch inning, our catcher got a plus five because he was five pitches, you know, below 10, below 15, but that's a plus five for him. It's a plus. It's a good thing. He goes out and backs it up with another 10 pitch inning. Now he's at plus 10. So, you know, the catcher kind of played a game with himself. It kept the catcher behind the plate more. And when we were even or behind in the count, um, it just, it just seemed to help develop or help teach the catcher too to in turn help the pitcher keep him on the plate and, you know, let's go get hitters. And there are absolute times you can pitch around a guy. There are absolute times when you, you know, walks are, are not a bad thing. And I'm not referring to those things. Just generally speaking, throw it over the plate, you know, go get them. And, and, and that's sub 15 pitch innings or is a, is a pretty decent goal. It's what we used again in the minor leagues when I worked with the White Sox and I, I've taken it with me here to Bellarmine. So, Joe, I, I want to use this time to address the question you asked because it has to do with the sub-15 pitch inning topic. And I also want to talk about how we actually practice that in bullpens. You know, I'm working with the pitcher on his delivery, but because he's with me and we're actually practicing and a lot of them are in season, we always want to make the bullpens uh, effective for what they need to do. Additionally, if I'm looking at mechanics and they're thinking about throwing strikes or they're thinking about simulating a game in a bullpen, that's the kind of you know information that really tells me how they're going to perform in a game. So getting video and looking at their delivery in that setting is so important. So while I'm not ne- necessarily doing the job of a pitching coach, I am, since he's on the mound, creating an environment where he can be working on more than one thing at a time. So in terms of our bullpens, many of my pitchers are throwing 59, 79 pitches, depending if we're in season, off season, in between, whatever their recovery allows so that they can go deep enough to get work and be ready for the next game. We never throw a bullpen without stopping after the warm-up number of pitches that he would normally throw. And then we throw in segments of 12 pitches. So in other words, every pitcher needs to know what his ideal number for a warm-up pen is. We call it the magic number. Most pitchers are anywhere between 24 and 28. Unless they're a closer, it's usually less. But let's say most of my pitchers will go 25. The catcher lets him know when he's at 25. He gets off the mound. He takes about a minute or two, just like he would if he were waiting for a game, and then he goes back and throws 12 pitches. Now, even if this is a day where we're not working on in hitting format, that's another type of work that they sometimes want, which is the the catcher's calling the pitches, we're calling balls and strikes, and then I'm keeping track, and this is while we're also looking at mechanics. So, But this is just a straight-up pen. And what I do is I have them work in sets of 12 after their warm-up number is done. So that way they are working in a task format because one of the things we know as sports scientists is that 
Athletics and sports and actions and movements are task-oriented. So when a pitcher is working consistently with 12 pitches at a time, and we selected 12, Larry, because we want that sub-15. We used to do it in 15s, and one of my best pitchers said to me, hey, I don't want 15 pitches in an inning. I want 12 pitches in an inning. So so we started working in 12s. And just when they feel, as they continuously feel that 12 pitches, and they continuously feel how long that takes, they start to adapt in a different way. So it, it puts an unconscious level into their system. So they kind of see a job as, okay, pitch one to pitch 12, that's a job. Then I've got another one. And so it works unconsciously on the pitcher. So that's how we work on bullpens. And it's a great way to harness the work. Plus, if you see pitchers just throwing pitch after pitch, that's not the way they throw in a game. Plus, they get fatigued. So really having them start and stop because a pitcher is a start and stop athlete. So you can't have them just get up in the pen and throw 40, 50 pitches without taking a break. It doesn't do them any any good, and it can do actual harm. Now, in terms of maintaining this, so in terms of doing this for a game, if a pitcher's throwing beyond 15 pitches, it's either it's for many reasons, but one thing we want to be sure of, it's not because he didn't have that chemistry controlled. The most important thing any athlete has to do is control his arousal level. He wants it heightened. He wants it at peak peak levels, but he can't have it controlling him. So uh, Joe, in answer to your question, pitchers need to not be afraid to throw full out in a bullpen because they're, you know, a lot of them go, oh, if I throw full out in the bullpen, I'm going to be burned out for the game. No, because you're full out in a bullpen is still not at the level that you're full out in a game will be because you're full out in a bullpen. What you're doing is creating extra chemistry to get your lights turned on because it's neurological but your chemistry isn't ever going to be there in a fake simulated situation. The minute you walk on the mound, you will have an arousal of chemistry that adds to that. But if your lights are already turned on, it's not going to jolt you. For example, if you're off in your pen, off meaning the lights are off, you're taking it calmly. You're really in a zen. You get on the mound and the difference is so vast that it can jolt you. But if you work intensely in your bullpen, and of course, take the time between pitches so you're not getting tired, but you're going full out, you're not worried about it. Then when you get to the mound, as the chemistry increases, you're already on. So you're not getting that contrast of off to on. Your job isn't to relax. Your job is to allow the peak chemistry to operate, but you need to be able to manage it. Does that make sense? Yeah. So I, I guess a lot of pitchers who struggle in that first inning, they may be the guys who are in the bullpen thinking, oh, I don't want to throw all out because I want to save it for the game. So maybe exactly. So maybe a thing to do is just say, all right, just simulate in the bullpen, simulate your pitching to the first pitch, first batter or two just to get them like get them excited. Yeah. And coaches, when you notice a pitcher, and Larry, there may no pitchers like this. If you if you scratch your head because you're starting pitcher, like how come he's like this in a game? Like let's say he's going through a streak where you're like he's 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 this way in a pen. 
But in a game, he's this way. Experiment with what he's doing in his pen before the game. He may be the guy who is thinking, see, it's counterintuitive to do what I just said to do. Most pitchers would go, oh, no, I will get tired. I I don't want to bring it. You know, I'm going to save that. Well, if you understood performance on a level other than psychological, and we're talking chemical and neurochemical, neurotransmitters and everything else, you would know that getting yourself ready. In fact, think about this. When you watch the Olympics or you watch a track race, you will see the short distance guys running sprints full out next to the track. Now, what are they doing? They're turning their lights on. This is neurological because the uh, the level to which you can turn your lights on is the level to which your intensity will be turned on. And we need intensity. And you can't use the game to do that because if you're off when you get to the mound, the chemicals will come on so quickly to you that you'll be overwhelmed. So you want to work with that in the bullpen and always know no matter how hard you throw, and you know this from pitchers, no, nobody sees a pitcher throw his top velocity in a bullpen. He can't because the chemistry is not there. So the top that you're going to is still probably only 85%. But what you're doing is preparing your system for performance. And because pitchers have time between pitches and innings, don't worry about them getting tired. They're not an endurance athlete. They get a break. They've got 20 seconds most of the time between pitches. Does that make sense? And Larry, do you know what I'm talking about? Absolutely. 100% for sure. Okay. So Larry, I want you to talk about, you have some great things to say about telling these pitchers to not be afraid to pitch inside. And you already mentioned some of the uh, information about, I love your topic of location or down is a location too, but could you talk a little bit? Uh, this is strictly for the pitchers to get information on this uh, pitching inside issue. Sure. Absolutely. Um, you know, that's, I think the building blocks, I guess, for how to kind of develop as a pitcher, you know, from very young, obviously the seven, eight, nine, or however, eight, nine, ten, typically when they start pitching to, you know, as they continue to develop, is that they must learn how to pitch down in the strike zone first, you know, and then like I mentioned earlier with uh, Brett Burns, former big leaguer, with the very simple statement that down is a location too. Yeah, down's good. There's nothing wrong with throwing it over the plate, but down, you know. Now you ha- you have to protect pitches. You know, so you're going to have to, you'll have to protect that pitch with maybe up or you'll have to protect, you know, things on the outer half of the plate with your ability to pitch in and, and pitching in is important. Um, you know, I, I think, and, and I always reiterate to kids that, you know, hitting anybody on purpose at any amateur level, there's no, you have no business doing it ever. I think it's, I think it's wrong. Um, in professional baseball, they play 162 games. They get paid a lot of money. They have to protect their teammates. There's a reason that they do those things. So, you know, but at the amateur level, absolutely not. Zero reason for them to hit anyone on purpose. However, they, they must become comfortable pitching inside. Umpires will call pitches that the ball that catches part of the plate, even maybe a ball in off the plate. Umpires will call those pitches strikes and hitters will swing at them. So they have to become comfortable doing it. So I think it's important that, you know, what you're probably going to talk about, obviously, next, I think, is practicing doing those things. But, you know, it's an important part of a pitcher's repertoire, an important part of what he's going to do. Uh, I, 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 I use the analogy, and the kids kind of think it's funny, but if you and I eat next to each other every night 
eat dinner next to each other every night and you steal food off my plate and I don't do anything about it, you're going to keep doing it. But one night you reach over and grab something off my plate and I stab your hand with a fork, you're going to think twice about doing it the next time. You're going to be uncomfortable. You're going to look at me. Is he looking at me? Is he not looking at me? Can I, what can I grab? You're going to be a little hesitant. You're not going to be comfortable reaching out to get something off of my plate. And that's the, that's what pitching in does for you. Pitching inside opens up the outer half of the plate. Again, it's common sense. It's just a, it's, it's not anything again, we created, um, but it does open up, you know, a pitcher's ability to pitch on the outer half of the plate. And so you are protecting your fast, you're protecting anything you want to throw away with fastballs in, you know, and sometimes in, in, and they're in off the plate, you know, it, 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 you know, in high school and college, and especially in the minor leagues, you know, you got to move, you have to move people's feet. There's nothing wrong with moving a hitter's feet, making him, you know, become uncomfortable. I don't want him to become comfortable. I don't want him reaching out over the plate. You know, now when do you do it? You have to pitch, in my opinion, you have to pitch in early in the game. And then the hitter will let you know when to pitch inside. As soon as he reaches out over the plate for something and the count and the count and the situation allows for it, I think you got to, you got to throw something in. You know, if, 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 uh, like I said, the count and the score and the situation and everything allows, you got to do something about it. Um, and it's just part of pitching. It's part of your, you're trying to do your job. I'm trying to get him out. And, you know, that's part of in and out. You are, you, your fork is your fastball in and your food's on the outer half of the plate and you're protecting your food. You're protecting the outer half of the plate by pitching in. And that's a pretty simple concept, but, you know, sometimes uh, the youth pitcher, the high school pitcher, even the college pitcher, they're a little tentative. And that's why when pitches are called from the dugout, you know, it's always typically away, 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 because if, if kids don't practice pitching in, then they're fearful that they're going to hit people and put guys on base. And so they'll inevitably maybe leave the pitch out over the middle of the plate and then it gets whacked and then they're backing up third because it's a double in the gap. And, you know, so the option would be then just, oh, well, let's just throw everything down and away because young hitters want to pull everything anyway. And sometimes, and they get away with it. They get away with living. Down and away is a great location. Down and away is a great location for the youth love. Down and away is a great location for a lot of high school kids. As you get higher, as you move up in the levels, you better be able to pitch inside to protect your ability to do that because hitters are just going to become comfortable. Um, another analogy we use, if I, face, if I faced Angel 10 times and – she hit me twice and knocked me down twice out of those 10 at bats. And I faced Joe and Joe threw everything middle away and never threw a ball near me. I want to face Joe. I don't want to face angel because I don't want to get hit with the ball because it hurts. So your, your ability to pitch in is, is a very valuable asset to have understanding that, you know, the youth pitcher and the amateur pitcher, you have no business hitting anybody on purpose and you're not trying to do so. You're just trying to pitch in. You're just trying to get people out by, by moving the ball in and out. Well, uh, what I want to say about uh, the, pitching inside, pitching outside, up high, side to side is something that I think is so important. And uh, the pitching coach stuff, you know, that's teaching a pitcher how to do that. That's one department. But one of the things I can add to this that's in my department is one of the corrections that I have to make most of the time to youth pitchers and frequently to older pitchers is I'm taking their video, I'm behind the catcher, 
And at the release point, their head and their eyes are not even looking at the target. It's pulled completely. Their head is pulled completely to the side, but it's not just a pulling of the head. It's a pulling of the eyes. And in showing my pictures, the video, and this is especially true with youth pictures, just as they're coming into the release point, they will take their eyes off the target. It's actually not as they're coming into the release. It's actually as they start the acceleration of the ball, their eyes actually move with their head away from the target, and they're releasing the ball without having seen the target. Also, additionally, another correction I have to make with many pitchers is as they come set, I never see them look at where they want to put the ball, and then they look away usually as they're gathering themselves, and then as they start their motion, they're halfway down the hill, and then they turn their head to look at the target. Noticing when a pitcher is picking up the target or focusing on the target is a critical first step whenever you're working with a pitcher on location. Larry, you mentioned some things that are definitely psychological and they're definitely like, you know, throwing inside with the guy standing right there. I can imagine how that is. But before you even can ask a pitcher to, I mean, when you've got a pitcher who can't locate, you've got to check to see if physically he is allowing the computer in his brain, which is the hand-eye coordination. It's how we operate in our lives. We have coordination. Our eyes pick up the information and our body or our hand or whatever does what it needs to do. It's why it's what pitching is. I mean, how do guys get the ball to go where they want it to go? They have skill at hand-eye coordination. Now, you can't get that if your eye, which is a big part of that formula, isn't looking at the target. Now, this seems like a no-brainer, But if you saw, especially in youth pictures, the number of times that I have it on film, and I don't want to tell you the reaction I get when I say to the pitcher, do you think you're looking at where you want to throw the ball? Oh, yeah, of course I am. Well, look at this. And when they see how soon they pull their eyes off or never looked at the target at all, in fact, once in a while, there'll be a really aberrant pitch and I'll look at the pitcher and say, I have a question. Were you looking at where you wanted to throw the ball? And they go, oh, uh, you know what? I, I, I wasn't. I thought I was, but no, I forgot to. They're so busy being in a motor pattern. It's like the way we get when we're driving sometimes. We don't know how we got there because we weren't paying attention. Learning how to pay attention with each pitch is so important. That's why that first pitch strike drill is so cool because it forces you to focus. But uh, whenever it comes to pitch location, make sure the pitcher is using the eyes and his attention and that you make it a real physical, mechanical, non-abstract thing in the pen for him to actually look. And of course, with my younger pitchers, I have the catcher put the glove wherever, you know, wherever when they're working together on certain pitches and hold it there and have that be the target. So he's actually looking at something, you know, an early glove. But I think that this is one very critical thing when you've got a pitcher who's having location problems with all the tricks you pitching coaches have, use that, but always make sure he's seeing He's looking at the target and he's seeing the target and looking and seeing are two entirely different things. 
So, Larry, when I talk about this seeing the target thing, even though it sounds like it's an obvious thing, seeing the target, pulling the head and the eyes off the target, does this make sense to you? Do you uh, notice the same issue sometimes? Absolutely. And just in one, uh, three things that it does for me, just simply keeping your face or you're keeping your head or your eyes on the target. Number one, I think it's obviously going to help with your direction. It's going to help you command the ball, no doubt. But secondly, uh, it helps you see the flight of the ball. You can see what the ball does. So that gives you feedback so you can make adjustments if you need to. And then, and then thirdly, uh, you can see how the hitter reacted to what you threw him, which would help you then select pitches. You may go into an at-bat uh, thinking that I'm going to pitch a guy a certain way and his swing tells me otherwise. So I, it can, I can make an adjustment on the fly if I need to. I can see how he reacts to what I threw him. Yeah. And, you know, the other thing about this is so it's important for people to know that in terms of going forward, you want to go, you want to take your body forward. You know, your legs are holding you down, so you're not going to go too far forward. But if you pull your head to the side and usually if you're pulling your eyes off, you're pulling your head, too that amount of weight is changing direction on the forward movement of your body. And you don't want it to pull to the side. You want to stop your forward direction, but you don't want to turn and change the direction of any part of your body. So taking your eyes towards the target, uh, which then will have your head place itself correctly over your body and towards the target also helps uh, improve the direction because remember your hand goes where your body goes. So uh, anyway, so yeah, another reason to, uh, to see what you're looking at. So anyway, uh, Larry, I love this topic. You wrote so many things about the changeup, the importance of mastering it, the importance of throwing it. So why don't we go on to the changeup? Yeah, absolutely. Um, Changeup is a really important pitch. Obviously, um, it's something that in you know in the minor leagues for our starting pitchers, especially uh, and relievers as well. But our starting pitchers, especially, it was really important for them to develop that pitch. I always found it ironic that, or not ironic. I always found it kind of funny that uh, uh, a young minor leaguer would show up, and typically the t- the pitch we would have to teach them would be the changeup. Um, and you wouldn't, you know, you wouldn't think that you'd be teaching a 21 or 20 year old man how to throw a changeup. But uh, when they're young, we feel that, you know, if you make the, if you spin the ball, the ball's going to move or break. And so sometimes, you know, young pitchers get a false sense of security that, uh, you know, they're spinning it and it's and they're not commanding it. They're not throwing it for a strike. People are swinging at it. They're getting outs. They're recording outs on, uh, you know, just a possibly a a bad breaking ball. And, and then, so the development of the changeup takes a back seat. It's not a sexy or cool pitch to throw because it doesn't move a whole lot. I mean, it can, you'd like it to, you'd like it to sink or obviously come down and back down to your arm side. Uh, but it's just not a, a cool pitch for young kids to learn how to throw in my opinion, but it's very important for them to learn how to throw as they get older. And, and it's an important part of their development, especially a starting pitcher, starting pitchers for one, uh, the changeup is going to help you defend yourself against opposite-handed hitters. You'll see more right-on-right changeups, meaning more right-handed pitchers will throw right-handed hitters more changeups. I think you see that more often than left-on-left. Um, I don't really know the reason why. Um, maybe because left-handers, typically left-handed hitters, just rule of thumb, like maybe like the ball down and in, and that's where a left-handed changeup is probably going to end up. Um, I think it's a pitch that left-handers need to throw to left-handers, but what it does more importantly, you know, it helps you defend yourself against opposite hitters and it helps you turn the lineup over as many times as you need to turn it over to do your job. You're probably going to face every hitter, you know, three to four times to get through, you know, six or seven innings. And if you're doing it with two pitches, I think the advantage goes to the hitter once you get beyond, you know, once you get past those, those first two at bats and, 
you know, if, if you're just a two pitch guy, I think your chances of getting through the game are getting, you know, the chances of you doing your job as a starting pitcher are going to diminish greatly. So, you know, the changeups a really important pitch to throw. We usually in the minor leagues, we used kind of a 10% rule that worked for us. I thought it was very good. Um, if you throw your change up 10% of the time throughout a game, number one, you're going to develop the pitch, you know, and, and, you know, we're, we're kind of forcing you to use it. And if you, if you develop it, now we have a chance to move you. It's kind of hard to move you throughout a system or like on, on our end, like from, you know, to pitch from high school to college or advance from maybe a reliever in college to a starter in college, it's going to be hard to, to advance you or to move you if you don't have that pitch. Um, so um, now the other, the other question kind of comes up, well, when do you throw it? So now I'm a kid that I have a changeup, but it's not a very good pitch for me. I don't have a lot of control of it. I don't throw it for strikes a lot. So when do I use it? Um, you know, we, a, a general rule of thumb for us was, Hey, you don't throw it by the third inning, then go ahead and throw, throw it first pitch change up to the first two hitters you see the next inning. Cause number one, it's going to, you might throw it for a strike, which is very helpful because it will help you develop the pitch. You, you may accidentally, Hey, I threw in for a strike, which can develop some confidence in the pitch. And secondly, if you did happen to throw it for a ball, you it didn't put you so far behind the eight ball that you couldn't pitch out of it. Certainly. Yes. It's not a first pitch strike and it's, in, in, but you know, you're also getting the other team off of fastballs. You're getting the team there. You're putting another pitch in their head. You're putting, you know, uh, something else in their head that they have to defend against. So, um, you know, when to use it, if they haven't used it at all, throwing it to the first pitch, throwing it, making it the first pitch to a hitter in, in, in an inning isn't a bad thing. And then obviously then you're probably going to want to talk about or you're going to talk about, you know, when and how to practice it. Yeah, Larry, you know, at the higher levels, you understand about what the importance of the change up and disrupting timing. But I think that the kids, you know, up through high school, most kids that are really good pitchers are really good pitchers because they throw gas, right? So when they throw a change up, that's giving the other batter an opportunity. That's giving the batter an opportunity to hit because they can't catch up to the fastball. So I think that's a, one of the reasons why a lot of the younger kids never really develop the changeup. But once they get to the college level, for certain, you've got to be able to change speeds. And that's I think that's a, a big big reason why a lot of the guys don't really aren't able to. Do it. No doubt, and I think a great example of that is you know Trevor Hoffman. You know later on in his career, didn't throw real hard. You know, maybe later on in his career, I don't know exactly what he threw, 85, 88, not, not hard for big league standards by any means, but, and probably threw a lot harder as a young, younger player, but, you know, he's getting out the best hitters in the world at the most important time of the game with a three run leader less with a fastball and a changeup essentially with, a, with about an 85, 88 mile an hour fastball. And there are a lot of college, there are a lot of high school and college guys that throw that hard and he's getting out the best hitters in the world with those two pitches. So it's a very, you know, a, more than adequate pitch to, uh, you know, defend yourself with. And it's something that I think is important to learn, especially if you're a starter, you cannot, it's very difficult to, I think, compete at a high level with just two pitches. If you're going to start, you can probably get away with it. If one of those pitches is exceptional, you know, as a reliever. Um, but, um, it's a, it's a really good pitch to learn how to throw. And I wish, you know, that, you know, I, I would, if I had my preference, I, if I'm working with a younger, you know, eight, nine, 10, 11, 12 year old kid, that's one of the, that's the first sec, that's the first secondary pitch that I would want to learn. I would want them to learn. Yeah. Would be a change. I agree. And and actually at any age pitcher that I've ever worked with, I always, they had to develop their fastball first and they had to be able to throw it. And then once they mastered their fastball, then I let them throw the change up and then no breaking pitches until after they figured out the change up. But that was Perfect. just something that I did. Absolutely. I agree completely. So Angel, how do you work with uh, your pitchers and the changeup? 
Well, when, when the, especially with youth pitchers, when they come to me and they tell me they're, because of course, one of my questions is how are all your pitches working, et cetera. So if they're having trouble with the changeup and then I'm watching them throw, I notice, of course, the thing we don't want to see, which is their mechanics are completely different. So one of the things that youth pitchers need to be reminded or need to be told and educated on, and sometimes an older pitcher needs to be reminded of this, is that the pitch changes its speed because of the way it's held in the hand. This is physics, lever length, et cetera, et cetera, so that you don't have to do anything differently to be able to throw it and have it go slower. So what you'll see a youth pitcher do is one, he'll have completely different mechanics because he's trying to pull off of it with his body. Secondly, He'll look like he's pushing the pitch because he's trying to hang on to it longer because whenever a pitcher is trying to slow down a fast movement, he's always going to make some giant error because you can't do a fast movement slow. It's like trying to swing a golf club slowly. It doesn't work. It becomes a completely different animal. So the problem that pitchers have, especially youth, youth pitchers, is they think they need to make the ball go slower. So but by them knowing that the position in their hand, and check where that ball is in their hand for, for all the coaches that are working with real young kids, sometimes they don't realize how to actually hold it into their hand, which is a different way than a fastball. So they once they learn that and once you explain to them, the ball will go the way it's going to go because of your grip, not because of what you do, then that changes that whole element of them trying to make it go slower. The other critical feature of throwing a change up, and you can notice this on all major league pitchers as well, you have to get over your front leg better. And I mean, to me, you should be getting over your front leg on every pitch, but especially on a curveball, especially on a changeup. What we notice in mechanics is those pitchers that actually don't have really efficient front legs, they tend to look a lot better on their changeup than they do on other pitches. The pitchers who always look good over their front leg, they're going to continue to look good. So make sure you have a very stable front leg. And this should be something you're working on with all pitches, but particularly with the changeup that allows you to do what you need to do with the pitch. So that's just a a little uh, reminder about uh, sometimes the lack of knowledge about why a pitch does what it does is important to remember when you're dealing with, uh, with kids. So that brings up the very last topic, which is, um, so Larry, you talk about, and I agree completely that you have to work on all this stuff in your sides and also when you're doing flat ground work. You want to address that a little bit and then I'll uh, throw in any additional thoughts I might have. Yeah, absolutely. I think, you know, like my my current job at Bellarmine, it's a university. Guys are here to get their degree. I think it's important for them to develop a good routine, you know, um, in the classroom. It's important for them to develop a good routine, you know, to create good study habits. And it's a good, good, you know, and on the field, it's a, it's really important for them to develop a good routine on the field. And that's kind of, you know, that, that's kind of what we're teaching them in general. We're teaching them to come up with and create a good routine and, and, in regards to pitching, that's basically you've we've we've kind of gone through an outline of some, not all, but some important things for them to work on, and how and you're you're doing a great job of implementing them and, and kind of helping them create a routine. So you know that's essentially what 
you know, I, I think your routine should include things that you need to do in a game. <clears throat> if in a game I'm expected to throw first pitch strikes, then I need to practice. I need to figure out a way to practice throwing first pitch strikes. Nothing, nothing you do will simulate the game like the game. But we want to try and get as close to we can or be as creative as we can to creating situations for them that, that are going to that are going to duplicate things they need to do in a game. I practice throwing first pitch strikes practice, you know, trying to throw two of the first three pitches for strikes practice, throwing sub 15 pitch innings practice, moving your fastball in and out practice, throwing your secondary pitches for called strikes. You're probably going to throw in regards to secondary pitches. Usually young kids are going to probably not hit the strike zone enough with their secondary pitches. So I don't need to work on my backdoor breaking ball when I can't even command my fastball or any other pitch for that matter. So Practice strikes. That's what you need to do in a game. Practice them. Practice throwing your changeup. Practice, uh, you know, uh, throwing long with your changeup. Another thing that you can do with the changeup is when you're throwing sidelines or throwing a side, throwing in the bullpen. If you're having, you know, you talked about guys try to manipulate or create movement or try to they slow their arm down. They're trying to they change their delivery when we don't want to change our delivery to throw the ball. So a lot of times you can trick. I think you can trick the pitcher into doing what you want him to do by backing the catcher up about five feet and make him throw his change. You're making him throw his change up farther. You're making him so they get extension. They get out over their front leg, you know, all the good things that happen. The ball then naturally will sink down to their arm side because of how they they're holding the ball because of how they're gripping the ball. So make them throw their change up farther. That's something that they can implement into their routine. Um, you know, Practice doing what you need to do in a game is, is pretty simple. And sometimes um, it just, you know, he's a pitcher and he comes out, he plays catch, he goes to the bullpen. You know, the catcher gives him a real high target and he practices throwing his pitches with no rhyme or reason and he thinks he got his work in. And and then when the game comes, oh, but, but you need to do this. You need to throw first pitch strikes. You need to throw two of the first three. You need to throw sub-15 pitch innings. You need to get leadoff hitters out. Oh, and you need to know our bunk coverages, and you need to know where you go when they put the ball in play in regards to cuts and relays, and you need to know where to, where to go on rundowns, and you need they need to know you need to know how to hold runners. It, it's like then they get overwhelmed, and then when they don't produce, then it's not fun, and then they quit playing. And so we want them to keep playing, so it's just real important that you can have fun, creative ways to to kind of guide them to develop a routine that can help them do their job, which in turn makes the game more fun. And then who knows what it turns out to be. It may get some school paid for. It may put a little money in their pocket or it may just create a little passion and then they can, then they can help their kids when their kids decide to play or what have you. It's just good things can come of it. But when we just kind of go out and just throw to throw and go to the bullpen and just throw with no rhyme or reason, then, you know, that's, that's tough too. Or if the the rivalry is again, you know, trying to throw perfect pitches or create swings and misses, those things get you in trouble too. That's a bad plan to have. Or, you know, I'm going to work on my backdoor breaking ball. I'm going to bounce this or bounce that. No practice strikes. You know, it the ML what you're referring to and what you've you, the literature or whatever you've referred to that I I wrote was it's just a simple PowerPoint of some simple things that I think pitchers need to do, but it, it has the MLB by count in 2017 in it. MLB by count, what each big league hitter or what big league hitters hit in each count and after each count and some, some other numbers. It's a, it's a sample size of about 185,000 plate appearances and about 165,000 at bats. So it's a gigantic sample size. And if you just take this, take a simple look at it in, in two strike counts, 
with the exception of 3-2. And 3-2 counts, big league hitters hit around 215. In all other two-strike counts, big league hitters hit below 200. In all other counts, they hit above 300. So, you know, practice doing what you need to do. And again, now those numbers are, are not going to be the same. They're going to be relative, though, to, to the level you're playing. And, you know, it's just, it's just I think sometimes if we, we get away from that message, too, you know, make sure that your plan and your routine has some simplicity to it, that you're practicing basically throwing the ball over the plate. Uh, yeah, down, yeah, in, yeah, secondary for called strikes, trying to do some things, uh, but it, it really comes down to just throw it over the plate, essentially. And and I've gone back and looked at all the games that we've played. I mean, you can go back and look at almost anything, especially at the youth level or amateur level. Teams that don't throw, teams that get behind in the count, teams that don't throw the ball over the plate, they typically lose. Pretty simple. It's not rocket science. It's just, but but we get so far away from those things sometimes, or we we don't put that you know, and then the forefront, we don't put that at the front of the line. We kind of, oh, yeah, that's important. Yeah, that's easy. Everybody knows that. Well, no, make it important. You know, keep, keep, how hard is it for your dad or mom to sit in the stands and keep track of how many first pitch strikes you threw today? And especially with the game changer thing, the game changer app, the scoring app that everybody uses now, good Lord, you can keep, you can keep track of everything. You keep track of all these important numbers. And, you know, if, if you're focused on, you know, if you're focused on those numbers, then, you know, you're not focused on a lot of other negative things about, oh, hey, I, I don't do this. Don't turn over the rubber. Don't step and across my body. Don't do all these mechanical things. Sure, those mechanical things are important. But when I get, I want to, I want to worry about things I know I need to do. I know I need to do this. That that's going to, these things are going to help me be successful and help me give my team a chance to win the game. Yeah. I, yeah, I agree with you, Larry. There's, um, people just try to complicate it too much and we, we need to keep it simple. And then you hit on something at the end there about focus and keeping things positive. And that was one thing that I always try to work with, with my, with my pitchers, all my players is in practice, you need to focus like it's the game. And that's, that's a big thing too, because a lot of guys that, it, especially if there's not a lot of structure, some, some coaches don't have enough structure in their practice and there's a lot of downtime and guys just, they, their minds go elsewhere. Or they're not thinking about things like I, when I say, why I always say is as soon as you pick up a baseball, even, even if you're just getting loose, you know, everything you do, there's got to be some kind of focus going on. You focus on something and, uh, and then you'll take that into the game. Sure. Absolutely. And I think, I think, you know, and, and again, you don't want to get so, you want it to be fun. You know, it can yeah, be absolutely. fun and you can focus. And so that's, that's, I think that's important. And that's a, that's a fine line to walk, you know, cause you know, everybody wants to win the game. That's why the scoreboard's on and, and, but. You know, it, it, we can learn how to win. We can learn how to lose. We can learn how to learn how to, you know, play the game. But but it still need you know it needs to be fun. And and you know I think I think we can do that. And, and I think sometimes that gets lost. You know, it gets lost along the way. Agreed. Well, baseball's fun. Damn it. <laughs> <laughs> so I want to add one. I want to add something really important about all this. That uh, it's a discussion that I have with pitchers, and it's one of the things because I'm out on a field working with pitchers, and I see everybody warming up as a team, et cetera. So, uh, for pitchers out there, um, one thing, Joe, you said, and you've heard me say a million times: the minute you have a ball, you pick up the ball to throw it. You've got to have a hundred percent respect for the the gift you've been given and the skill that you're going to practice, and you have to 
the saying practice makes perfect. Well, if you practice correctly, you will always be making progress. And what you're looking for is to progress, not necessarily to be perfect. And the guy who is always working on something that he needs to work on is going to make himself a better pitcher. People ask me all the time, what do you do when you've got a guy that's great? I look for the one opening where he's not great. There's always one little thing. You don't work on what you're already doing well. I mean, you can practice it, but you have to find some somewhere a weak link. Every practice should have an intention. And whether you're throwing flat ground or whether you're throwing in a bullpen, you have a situation that you will never have again. When you're in a scrimmage with your team, when you're practicing, when you're doing PFPs, when you're in a game, those are all situations where there are variables you cannot control. When you are playing catch and when you are in a bullpen, you can control everything because there's no one trying to swing or hit or do whatever. You don't have someone trying to steal a base. You have to be willing and understand that that is your time to work technically. It's why you cannot just play. You know, people think, oh, I'll save my kid's arm. He'll only pitch on weekends and games. No, wrong. You have to work technically and with focus in between your starts. It's a gift. It's a gift to be able to throw a bad pitch and then say, hmm, what happened? Well, let me try this. Let me look at this. You should be thinking about what you're doing. You're either working on your mechanics, you're working on something with a pitch, you've got to make that decision. You can divide up your work time and say, I'm going to work 10 pitches, I'm going to think about my front foot. And now in this next one, I'm going to be working on this and ask the catcher to involve himself in any way he can to help you accomplish, especially when you're working around the plate. Have him do whatever he needs to do to help you see where the ball went, where it landed, you know, whatever you need to do. But work technically and don't be afraid to. And if you are a pitcher right now who thinks about what he did yesterday and you think, I didn't think once about what I was doing, I just went through my X number of pitches and came out of the pen, then you've got a great place where you can create some improvement. And when you have, when you have progress every day, even if it's a little bit, that's how you end up being a better pitcher. So anyway, so that's my two cents on that. And thank you so much. That was some great information on those five points. So pitchers, five ways for you to become better by the end of the week. Yeah, that's a lot of good stuff there. Uh, So Angel is is it time for the ninth inning? It's time for the ninth inning. And of course, the closer, I you did my pen. I'm warm. I'm in the dugout. I'm raring to go. So let's go. (laughs) <laughs> All right, All closer, right. come on in. So You're on the mound. Because the ninth inning is my time to do whatever it is I want. So, Larry, I've got a test question for you. I want you not to answer right away because I'm going to have a DJ giving you some thinking music. But I have a question, <laughs> and I want everyone out there to think of the answer, and then I will give the answer in a few seconds. So here's the question. Do you think a pitcher should go as hard and as fast as he can down the hill during his stride. (laughs) All right. And the answer is Larry. Okay, Larry. (laughs) Uh, No. (laughs) Very good. 
<laughs> he should not. He should not. Okay, Larry, that's very good. Now, have you been listening to my podcast, or did you always know that? I've listened. I've listened to a few, but no, I've never really been a big fan of, of that anyway, of that practice right. anyway. No. Well, if you've uh-uh. listened to my podcast, and uh, only a few, Larry, my um, my, my feelings are hurt. A few a dozen? Few. More, 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 a, few, a few years. Oh, a few, a few years. years. Okay. <laughs> so anyway, I talk about this all the time, but I want to say it in a different way. So first of all, there's been tons of research on this. This isn't me making this up. And actually, there's been some, again, Again, recent research about how hard the pitcher pushes off the rubber, which of course creates the speed. And is it correlated to ball velocity? And again, it comes up, it is not. So here's the deal. And you've always heard me say this. If you go too fast doing something, you have to slam on the brakes at the end of it. And you don't want to be slamming on the brakes at the time in the motion when you're supposed to be transferring and accumulating energy to go into the pitch. So you've heard me say that a million times. But here's another way I want you to think about it. The minute the front foot lands, energy is supposed to be transferred through the leg. So the next very most important thing can happen. The pitcher can rotate in segments with the hips being first. And when I say the hips, we're talking the pelvic area. And the pelvis is where if you have two jeans, uh, pockets with two pockets on pair of jeans, it's that straight across pelvic bone, those are where your hips insert, that pelvis rotates first, then the trunk goes, and then the shoulders. The energy to do that is transferred from the foot through the leg, and then rotation starts, and your velocity comes from how fast you rotate those three segments and how well you can separate them. For example, if you ever have a chance to film Chapman, you will see that he has the most distinctive, therefore the 105 mile an hour pitch that was recorded by him years ago. He has the most distinctive separation of his segments. Separation of that seg- those segments is critical. You can't get separation and you can't get power from the first movement of the pelvis if you slam down the brakes with your front foot landing. Your hips have to be a part of the braking of your momentum or energy, or whatever you want to call it that makes you think you should be doing it hard and fast down the hill. Your hips have to slow you down. Therefore, your trunk muscles will begin the rotation and or your pelvic muscles will not be able to initiate the rotation as well as it's supposed to do. The pelvis initiates the rotation we don't want it slamming at helping you slow down and initiate at the same time. Therefore, we don't want you going fast down the hill. Plus, it jars the entire motion. And if you watch good pitchers, they know exactly how hard to push off the rubber, to do whatever you want to call it, to get down the hill to the front leg that allows the hips to create the rotation. So if you want to know how hard should you or shouldn't you move down the hill 
understand that the hips have to rotate first. And if the way you're striding disallows that, then you know you're going too fast. And I know there's many schools of thought and many people that teach turn fast, do this, do that, run up, land, do all this stuff. But it's not the way it happens. If you talk to any good pitcher, he'll tell you it's powerful, but it's controlled And that foot places down in a way where the energy transfers up into the leg instead of the leg landing hard onto the ground, having to slow you down and put your brakes on. So five stars for you, Larry. Could you have Yeah. So that's that's another way of explaining this issue, which I'm kind of a fanatic about. Does that make it a little more clear over the years, Joe? You've been hearing me say it a bunch of different ways. Does that make sense? Oh, absolutely. Uh, you know, it, I, I am always hearing about things about how you have to like get your momentum going and go fast down the hill and all this other stuff. And, it, it, you know, you've kind of made it crystal clear to me exactly how it works. Awesome. And uh, hopefully if we re- repeat it a few more times on a few more episodes, maybe even Larry will listen to a few of them. Um, <laughs> it'll It'll get ingrained in everyone else's head. Great. Larry, thank you so much for taking the time today to be our guest. No worries. Thank you guys uh, very much for having me. It's always a pleasure. And uh, anytime, I'd love to come back anytime you'd have me. Thanks so much for listening to this episode of The Fix. Please pass along to another pitcher, coach, or parent. Please subscribe to the podcast. Uh, If you have no idea what a podcast is, go to the App Store on your smartphone and search for Baseball Pitching The Fix, and you can download our app. If you want to learn more about Angel, you can go to her website. It's gymscience.com. You can also email her, angel at gymscience. For more about me, Joe Janish, you can visit fixingpitchers.com. And you can also hit me up on Twitter, at fixingpitchers. Both Angel and I hope that you learned something this episode. If you have any questions, please reach out to us. And in the meantime, we wish you safe and effective performance on the pitching mound.